Hey, and welcome back to the So Pro Cycling Show, episode 33. So, winter is quickly approaching, and in this episode, we're going to talk about how you can successfully conquer another winter while still cycling. So, we're going to, you know, cover the best clothes to wear, and when it's too cold outside, what's the best option for indoor cycling, and basically how to structure your training throughout the whole winter. One thing we before we get started, I just want to say, if you're enjoying these episodes, head over to iTunes and write a quick review, just like one sentence of what you like about the show. Could be, you know, our, our unique perspective on, you know, amateur racing or whatever. Whatever you like, just write a quick review and that really helps us out, so I really appreciate it. Also, if you guys have any questions or suggestions, you can email us at soprocyclingshow at gmail.com. And if you're listening on SoundCloud, you can leave a comment there as well. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode and let's get started. Hey, and welcome back to the show. So Luke, we have winter coming. And Do we, does it have to? Yeah, it has to. Okay, unfortunately. Fine. But we want to talk about today what do cyclists do in the winter? How to make sure you're not going to blow up for the next season and how to come into next season with like, you know, good fitness so you can do well in races and stuff. So I guess the first thing we should start out with saying is, um, you really want to take like time off the bike. So personally, I'll take probably between like seven and 10 days and not ride at all just to like fully recover get that mental stress of like worrying about a training plan over and, you know, just refresh the mind for next year in the training. Yeah, I, I would concur with that. You know, the usual, the industry standard for the non-pro tends to be a straight up just two weeks of no cycling whatsoever. Um, this doesn't mean no activity whatsoever. Cross training is still definitely a good way to kind of like let off steam during that period, but you can't take that cross training and apply the same intensity that you would apply on the bike. So like, you know, running obviously would be the first thing that comes to people's minds, swimming the second lifting, obviously up there, but you know, for cyclists, those aren't activities that you're doing all the time. So if you just try to take that same cycling intensity and apply to one of those activity, it is an injury risk. So the key thing with this period is just keep it light, keep it easy, keep it fun. Yeah. So if you want to do like some hiking or, you know, a light, light jog, I'd say that's fine. But even like, I know like, some people do just like mountain biking instead of road riding, just like have just a little different dynamic. Right. You know, and what do you think about that? You know, the, the good thing about mountain biking is not only is it kind of stressing just like other skills, stability, handling and such, it's also not as mountain biking is one of those things that's as hard as you make it. Yeah. You know, like you can go really deep on a mountain bike and just shred yourself or you can have some of the most like pleasant 
recovery nature rides imaginable. Yeah, that's true. So I guess the the trick is to just, you know, chill. It's the end of the season. You're not going to be gaining, you know, very much if you're going to go hard at this point. So just chill. Get your mind back into the into the swing of things at the end of the year. Catch up on some other things that you've, you know, been neglecting. If you wanted to read that book, go read that book. If you wanted to, you know, actually see your family more often, do that. Your significant other finally wants a date. That yeah. that might be a good <laughs> area to start taking care of. But, you know, one of the other kind of things is, Thomas, you know this. I'm a bit of a numbers nerd. Love yeah. my Garmin. Love my Garmin as much as my bike. Um, this is that time of year where you might want to take that off the front of your bike and just slide it into your back pocket. Yeah. Or just don't bring it at all, but we know that's pushing it. <laughs> yeah, you know, you can still like record the ride, but definitely more important to just go off of how you feel. Yeah. At this time of year, as opposed to just like, I gotta hit this number right now or else. Yeah. But this just enjoy you know, the ride get back to the, you know, why you started cycling because it's, you know, something fun to do and, you know, don't worry about the training as much in these, you know, October through early December months. Right. And like, that's, that's probably the most interesting thing. Um, because you get the dichotomy of people, the people who are just road or mountain bike racing, obviously the seasons are if not already ended in most areas, very, very close. And then you got the cyclocross crowd, which will run in full competition, essentially up into that December period. So you get the people who are still going hard, doing intervals, essentially all the way up until riding outside might become, let's call space spade, impossible in some areas in the country. <laughs> Yeah. So I guess you also have to think about like who those people are. So if you have a lot of friends that are doing cyclocross and you're only like focusing on road, maybe don't ride with them or make sure they're doing like an easy day when you ride with them. Cause like you don't want to be going on a ride and having to do intervals if you're trying to chill. Right. I guess the other option would be, you know, tell your road friend that he really needs to come to this cross race. <laughs> And have him agree. <laughs> make sure he agrees. Incentivize him with drone shots and um, yeah. food. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, neither here nor there. At the end of the day, everyone at some point is probably going to have to take their break, no matter how long it is. Um, so let's kind of move into what comes after that two weeks off the bike. You know, we've kind of been talking about how unstructured for this period is probably best, but at some point, depending on when your first goal is, especially if you just want to have the goal of, you know, let's say the road season in most places starts in April. Sorry, California. Not all of us can enjoy that <laughs> lovely January, February preseason racing. Um, so let's just hypothetically place somebody's first goal in April. Okay. And let's kind of just look at things from there. And let's also. So like Joe it. Martin, basically. 
If you want to peek for Joe Martin. Yeah. Let's take Joe Martin from the standpoint of somebody going through cross nationals and somebody who's done now. Okay. Essentially. And let's kind of try to break it down. You know, somebody who's done in cross stats, their two week period is essentially going to run through the holiday break. Somebody who's done now, heck their two week period might've already passed. True. You know, if they raced for the last time, taking it back a little bit, if they raced for the last time at gateway cup, you know, their two week period of nothing is probably already passed. And something important to talk about with this two week period, if it's been two weeks and you're like, Oh, shiznets, I don't want to train. Nothing wrong with taking the extra week. You know, the whole point of this period, as Thomas said earlier, is a mental reset. So like, if you're not ready to get back to training, like you got to keep mental, you got to keep trying to mentally reset things. Cause otherwise, you know, that's how burnout happens in the next season. Yeah. And when you really think about it, like, is another week going to matter that much in the grand scheme of things? Like you're really better off taking that extra week, getting that mental refresh and, you know, being able to actually smash your workouts harder throughout the year. That one week is going to let you, you know, do your workouts better throughout the year. Then I'd say it's definitely worth it. Right. So I guess, you know, what would come next for that person is kind of the decision of what my goals are. So they arbitrarily pick Joe Martin, neither here nor there. Things are going to be probably very structured until about November or December. And even then it's only really going to be low, low intensity work. Yeah. So some LSD you know, about, like to call we're it. We're talking about base miles. <laughs> the long, slow distance. <laughs> right. And the key word there and something that I think almost everyone has a tough time with when they're first starting out is the slow part of that equation. Yeah. Something I still struggle with. <laughs> like how slow is slow? What are we talking here? Zone yeah. two, so zone one, zone two would kind of be, you know, if it's just a long flat road, zone two is kind of your ceiling. You know, we're talking about you have two break points when it comes to your heart rate, right? You have an aerobic threshold and an anaerobic threshold. You know, power wise, these numbers will be a little funkier for everyone but that second one we're talking kind of more towards ftp the first zone the aerobic one's a little harder to compute without like a lactate test um the but that first zone once you crest it the lactate response begins and you're no longer working completely aerobically so you know it's almost better to stick kind of in that low zone two phase and just do bulk aerobic work if that's your focus at that given time period yeah so what does like base training actually do for you so base training is the reason you call it base training is obviously because it is the foundation of what you are trying to build if VO2 max 
is the house that you are given by genetics and previous training. Base training is essentially trying to make that house a little bit stronger so that way you can start stuffing it with threshold, anaerobics, tempo, you know, and base is essentially the aerobic foundation. Cycling is a very aerobic sport. You know, if somebody has been following up with the recent fast cats from uh, Velo News, they have been talking a lot about how even something as short as like a four minute effort is still 85% aerobic. So when you're going on these long, slow rides and trying to build that aerobic tank, you're still influencing 85% of a short interval. You know, so that's kind of what's the critical portion of all this base training talk. Gotcha. Okay. So how long are we actually talking here? Like three hour rides, five hour rides? You know, I guess it just depends on who you are and what the demands of kind of your goal race are going to be. You know, if you're a crit star, those five hour rides might not be giving you as much bang for your buck. Um, Usually somewhere between two and three hours, we see good aerobic adaptation begin to occur according to the most recent studies, which of course, like all scientific studies, um, very fluid, always changing, could be different even tomorrow. Right. Exactly. But you know, I guess like if, if you're talking just like your, your normal cat one, two, does some crits, does some road races, may head up to Joe Martin, uh, you know, and those races are a hundred, you know, there's two hundred mile road races, you know? Right. And I definitely, I think you just, I think you want to be prepared. Okay. If that makes sense. You know, like if you know at Joe Martin, okay, I'm going to have to face down for anywhere from three to five hours, depending on speed of hard work. You know, you're obviously going to want to know that you can handle a couple of five hour rides in a week. Yeah. Within succession of each other. I'm not saying you need to essentially sim the stage race by yourself or even go at that intensity, but aerobically, you need to make sure the system is strong enough to sustain over that period. Gotcha. Because, you know, ultimately, one of the critical things that you're trying to do is, you know, build up your ability to relax and recover once you drop down from high intensity as well. That's where that aerobic component comes in. Right. And part of the science behind that is like there's increased blood flow and, and what do you call it? Capillaries or something. Oh yeah. Those those capillaries, those veins. Yeah. So you have like increased blood flow and all this crazy stuff, but basically, I mean, at least what I'm personally doing is like, you know, some three hour rides, maybe on the weekend, do like a five hour ride and, you know, just have fun with it. Also, I like this season just cause you know, there's no like pressure right now. So I really like to do at least like one super epic ride, which may not be, uh, you know, I guess the best after you just take a break, but that's just, I usually do the epic ride before the break. Uh, but I'm going to do like a 24 hour ride 
and try to do like 400 miles in 24 hours. It's going to be crazy. But I mean, if you want like, you know, cycling doesn't always has to be just like focusing on racing. If you want to, you know, try these epic things and challenging yourself, now's like the time to do it really. Gravel. Gravel. <laughs> but no, you know, Thomas is definitely 100% right. Um, you know, doing these crazy fun rides is kind of what the fall can be about for a lot of people. You know, really what it matters is picking things where you're going to have the most fun. Yeah. You know, like for me personally, cyclocross is what I have the most fun doing in the fall. So that's kind of what that's the avenue that I choose to go down. I try not to take it too seriously, you know, just because I definitely have a strong affinity for the road. And cyclocross is just how I like to spend my time in the fall trying to stay in shape. Yep. But with, with that being said, those cross races, man, they can get a little cold. And that riding in November and December, it can get a little chilly. Could even be snow and ice. So what are you going to wear? Well, I guess it really depends on like how cold it is. You you know, there's so many different products nowadays that you can um, choose from. You know, you have your regular shoe covers, you have your toe covers, you know, you have different intensities of those to like for the different temperatures. So there's like so many different things you can wear, but I guess the general rule is you want to be slightly cold when you start off. Cause once you get going, you're going to warm up a bit and you don't want to have like too much where you're, you know, drenched in sweat. Right. And that being said, different people respond differently to the cold. Um, you know, I think Thomas and I are both some of those people who can get, once we strike the right, like clothing layering, we're pretty decent as long as we stay dry. That being said, and keep I, moving and keep and moving. don't have flats and then another flat and, and have another to get picked up. <laughs> end up in a ditch. <laughs> yep. Um, tangent story. We were riding our senior year. Just we were out in the middle of nowhere, northwest of Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, one of our guys on the ride with us flatted a couple of times and Thomas is a little bit more of a thicky boy than I am. (laughs) And so he was was a little warmer than, uh, poor scrawny me and a bunch of uh, Thomas soldiered on and made it back to Bloomington himself. Meanwhile, there was, I believe there was either six or seven people on this ride and this was like a hundred mile ride. I was the only one that rode back. The rest (laughs) of us was like, yeah, we're getting picked up. (laughs) Not only did we get picked up, our rides found us, all of us all huddled in a ditch at the side of a road. (laughs) And like, we did not see another car pass us until we, until essentially rescue arrived for us. But you know, the moral of that story is you got to stay moving. Yeah. So, I mean, getting flats, not the best in the winter because one, your fingers are like impossible to, you know, change the flat. So a tip for that would just be try to stay near some gas stations and stuff 
in like stores you could like go in for a second and to change a flat if you get one um but or ride like tubeless or something right and you know with that being said we're obviously talking about like pretty deep winter but as things start to trend downward you know it's like kind of if you've ever ridden a motorcycle before even once you start to get towards 50 degrees it's just going to feel a little bit colder with the air moving around everything and the critical area that could be affected is actually like your knees constantly moving a small amount of synovial fluid in between the joints and you could actually develop some issues so it becomes decently important to keep your knees covered especially if you're going out for extended periods of time as the temperature starts to drop right so what do you what do you, would you say is like the cutoff temperature you know cycling lore and tradition says 65 degrees um i'm definitely more of a 55 to 60 person myself that's what it was on sunday and i started to ride in leg warmers i took them off as it got warmer but at least for the first two hours i was happy i had them on yeah so you can go different routes here you could do like just the regular knee warmers you could do the whole full leg warmers and those are really the best options for this like fall period because like you said you can take them off if you do like a full pant type of uh gear you can't really take that off in the middle of the ride so i definitely recommend like you know knee warmers or leg warmers right and probably the last thing kind of just like a quick rapid fire gonna need a decent hat gonna need probably even two sets of gloves one for when it's like 40 to 50 and then just go right out and buy the really nice thermal lobster gloves for those deep winter chills. Like I have yet to find anything really that's better than that. And theoretically you could double layer those two types of gloves for yourself to give you even more added hand protection. Right. Yeah. And a jacket and a jacket. Yeah. And another thing that's, you know, I found within the last year or so, maybe two years is like a vest, like just having like a vest for, you know, the days that are like 60, you know, it's, it's not cold enough where you need like a full jacket, but having just like that windbreaker on your chest keeps your core a little bit warmer and, you know, makes the whole ride more enjoyable. I guess the main point is keep your core warm because then your other, you know, arms and stuff will be warmer too. Right. Heat will continue to flow to your extremities. Yeah. So, but at some point it's going to get real cold. There's going to be snow. There's going to be ice. There's going to be salt and it's just going to be terrible for your bike. So when that happens and you need to get your workout in, what do you do? You go inside and you know, you just try to make the best of it. But (laughs) you know, I know there, again, I've trained with a lot of people who have like Raynaud syndrome in the past and that's the uh where essentially once it just dips below a certain temperature there is very little hope blood flow stops to the or gets very limited to the extremities uh they go completely white and it becomes very difficult for these individuals to kind of like train outside okay so you know the the best solution for them is to just train inside and really 
this is the best possible time to start training inside just because of all the little fun tools that are now pretty much mainstream in cycling. I wouldn't say they're coming anymore. They're they are fairly mainstream. Yeah, I would agree. Like back in the day, it would just be YouTube videos and you know, suffering to really loud music. Well, yeah, it was it was race tape and rollers. That's yep. that's how it was. But now, you know, obviously the big software giant, it's Zwift. You know, yeah. there are other ones like Sufferfest and other proprietary systems like that. But you know, I during this cast, we're definitely gonna primarily focus on Zwift because I know that's one that we both use. And, and this so, is something I found last year and it was just, I don't know. It, it, it really took my training. Like it gave me so much more motivation. The fact that I could, you know, come home after work one day and there's like always a race going on within like every 30 minutes or so. And I could just pop in there and do like an hour high intensity race. Like that's so awesome. Yeah. And I think a lot of people when they first try it, definitely get if it's the right person get a little bit of a zwift bug because i tried it my senior year i had a decent sized apartment just set up in and i just remember being on winter break and doing the zwift century ride yeah yeah Uh, like something you could like it would be so hard to do if you didn't have that but if you could go on zwift and just you know, ride with other people, you know, some pros are on there. Sometimes you could ride with them and just to get like a five hour ride in inside. Like that's crazy, dude. I think that's also, if I had one just in general critique for Zwift, I would just want an easier way to communicate with people other than the text system. Yeah. You know, I don't know exactly what the proper, way to make that work whether we'd have to have a microphone you have to have a microphone set up and then obviously you couldn't just project your voice out to the entire server that would get a little crazy just trying to have conversations so i don't know how you would restrict it to a set spacing coordinates whether it be you know yeah theoretical next to you in the group i i honestly think that's where it's going like having like a full headset you have like your camera so you can like see you know what you're looking at i guess or who's oh so you think we're gonna get essentially like the oculus rift like basically set up as a helmet yeah like a virtual reality you can just like look to your left and you have like the guy to your left and yeah that i mean that's where it's going i think but i think one of the interesting things that zwift is also kind of like not that it already wasn't penetrating the mainstream way deeper than it probably needs to, but the idea of FTP and watts per kilo permeate throughout Zwift just because that was an easy way for them to just base the software on if you're doing X power at this weight in this terrain, this is how fast you're going to be going based on whatever type of bike advantages you are currently have equipped to your rider yeah 
So, and, you know, it's I been mean, a bit of a double-edged sword. Obviously, there are the Zwift dopers, which is why we have the Zwift Anti-Doping Association. <laughs> which I find is totally crazy, but... Um, yeah, that's the other thing that's like kind of, you know, the only barrier to Zwift is the fact that you really need like a power meter to get like an accurate, um, ride experience. But the best way to personally, I think to do Zwift is to have like a smart trainer because then you'll have, you know, the power for the trainer, but then you also based on if you're going uphill, downhill in a draft the trainer will calculate that and, you know, increase resistance, decrease resistance. So it actually feels like you're going uphill and Wahoo is a big, you know, company that does this. And they actually have like the climb, I think it's called. I think that's a little too far, but I mean, I guess I haven't used it, but I feel like that'd be, it'd be cool, but it's like a thousand bucks. So you're spending a thousand bucks on the trainer thousand bucks on that. So now you're up to two grand plus your Zwift is like 15 bucks a month. Right. But if you are balling on a budget, Zwift does have cadence speed type, uh, compatibility where they'll calculate essentially out Zwift power. Obviously it is a complete estimate, but it will allow you to use the service to a degree. Yeah. Right. So if you just have rollers and speed sensor, you still can use it. I just think to get that full experience and to like actually, you know, be like immersed in the Zwift world, I think it's important to have like that full trainer. Oh, I, you know, trainer. I, I would agree. You know, I'm just saying that there are, there yeah. at least is a cheap alternative to somebody who does want to use the use the service yeah Uh, that being said if you're a little fiver at indiana university and you're listening to this just go get your little five bike go get rollers that's all you need (laughs) don't 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 suffer like we all had to don't believe don't believe the hype of any of this (laughs) little five bike and rollers that's all you need to ride inside oh man yeah, that's so boring. But, you know, <laughs> um, eventually there will be breaks in the winter where you can train outside. And obviously you don't want to be doing complete base training the entire time. And the offerings on Zwift, if you choose to do kind of like one of the more structured plans, can be incredibly beneficial to the self-coached athlete. Yeah, I agree. One thing I have like against it, I feel like Sometimes they're slightly too easy based on your FTP. I don't know if you've had this issue, but I usually like bump it up like 20 watts or so each interval. I don't know. I've never felt that way. Mainly it's because, yeah, if I had to like guess, I'm not as much of a flats guy as you are. So me turning on a trainer for an extended period of time, essentially simulating a flat road and obviously i don't have a smart trainer so i'm going off of a power meter link so what i'm producing is currently what i'm producing yeah i don't get like an additional benefit or anything yeah. to kind of drive against so for me it is quite honestly just pure flats power 
for the most part, like standing up. If you don't have a smart trainer and you get out of the saddle to push more, it's more likely that your watts are going to drop because your cadence is going to drop, even if you shift up. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the thing with like standard trainers is they don't have that giant flywheel that, you know, the kicker has the Wahoo kicker. So it, the kicker actually feels like real road. Like if you coast for a second, that wheel is still spinning. So when you start pedaling again, it like, you know, you feel like you're on the road. Whereas like a normal trainer, if you stop pedaling, your wheel stops. So it's like, you're starting back up from zero again. So, I mean, if you're going to be, you know, serious about this and you're going to, um, you know, you want to be training, you know, for many hours over the winter, I'd say it's worth the investment. I know it's expensive, but I mean, how much do you spend on your bike? You know, how much do you spend on your wheels? Like another thousand dollars? Like, is it really that much? I don't know. But yeah, personal preference, I guess. Yep. So, uh, Thomas, is that all we have for the good people on the indoor cycling? Uh, I believe so. I had one more point. So, Luke, when do you actually uh, start intensity again? So, you know, you have, you have your long rides, but then when do you, when do you start doing intervals? Like how many months before that first event? Well, I guess I'm going to clarify it with what type of intervals are you talking about? Because, you know, you could have low intensity type intervals. We're talking zone three, low zone four, mid intensity, probably right in that threshold wheelhouse. And then high intensity hit intervals where it's just digging deep going hard zone five zone six because if we work let's just work backwards because i think that's going to be the easiest way to reapply it okay so three weeks out from your a race you're going to be doing high intensity work a lot of the science says it only takes really eight to twelve sessions of that type of work to reap max benefit any more than that. And you're kind of just essentially overtaxing the system and not really getting as much benefit. Okay. Um, and then I think you're just going to want to do the standard kind of four and four, four weeks of middle threshold intensity, and then four weeks of low zone three, low threshold type intensity work. So we're talking, you know, excluding the base period, 11 to 12 weeks before your A event. Okay. That's good to know. Cool. So if they're doing Joe Martin really start in like January or so. Yeah, I would say, I would say so. Um, you know, one of the things with that, obviously Joe Martin, very early season stage race. Yeah. Uh, so where you got to be careful with that is let's say you go to Joe Martin and you have a, spectrum result either you do super freaking awesome you blow up (laughs) everyone and you know you get a great result we're talking a win a podium you satisfy all your goals awesome or you know other end of the spectrum it just goes complete and utter crap yeah um the tendency for those athletes tend to be they want to soldier on but theoretically you can only keep like a peak for two to three weeks. And considering that was your A event, you should be in that peak zone 
you're going to need a reset, not a full on off season. Like we talked about earlier, but you're going to need to give yourself like a week to kind of like let the body reset and begin working towards another goal. In the meantime, obviously you can still race like events that you classify as like C or even, you know, kind of middle of the road B events. But, you know, even like immediate following Joe Martin, you shouldn't just like approach every race afterwards. Like it's still Joe Martin. Gotcha. You need to reset, refocus and pick a race. Like there's a reason all of these professional riders who race somewhere between 60 and to hundred race days a year will tend to only focus on two or three big giant white whale targets. Right. And the rest are just training. Cool. Well, I think that's a good way to end it. So hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hope you guys learned something for the upcoming winter. Stay warm out there and we'll see you next week. Do cross. Bye guys. (laughs) 